Welcome, you're listening to A Certain Degree. Our school founding director, Maribeth Hebner, is the guest this episode, and she discusses why she started her own school, dystopian young adult novels, and much, much more. This episode is brought to you by Bidbus. What's better than a cheap ride share? How about one where you don't know the destination? Bidbus works just like Lyft, but with a healthy dose of eBay. Your drop-off is auctioned off, so you're delivered to the highest bidder. Will it be your house? A coffee shop? A timeshare presentation? Just remember, you have the option to outbid them, so everyone wins. Well, mainly we win. We always win. Download the app at toacertaindegree.com. The Old Crow Medicine Show on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to A Certain Degree. That was Motel in Memphis for today, uh, this Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And I think today is actually his birthday as well, so it uh, falls on a good time. Good morning. My name is Nick. As I mentioned, this is To a Certain Degree. I do this every week, and every week I have a very, very special guest. This week, no exception, Mary Beth Hebner is here. Good morning, Mary Beth. Good morning, Nick. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I like to say it that way. Uh, Mary Beth is here as part of uh, an old friend of mine, I would say. We're, we're friends. I would say so. Okay, great. That's always nice to hear. Uh, but also in the capacity as, uh, how do you describe yourself? Founder of our school or? Right, one of the founding directors. Okay, founding directors of our school. We're going to learn a little bit more about that coming up. But first, uh, as much as we're friends, I do want to get to know you a little bit better. And so we do this with every guest. We play a little game of uh, 20 questions. So I'm going to ask you 20 things, and I just want your opinions on them. Right. So it's not going to be anything controversial, probably, maybe, I don't know. Some things can be controversial to people. I'm not going to try to say that you don't have to think it's not controversial. That didn't make any sense. <laughs> but instead of just going yes or no, up or down, uh, we're going to go onward or upward. So onward if you're for something. Okay. Because what's, best, what's better than pressing onward? What's better than keeping going, continuing going? I'm not sure what the correct term is. Uh, you know, it's like data from Star Trek, the next generation. Like right. it was always about the pursuit of his humanity, not really getting there upward. Uh, that's dangerous, right? Like Icarus type of stuff. You could get too close to the sun and fall and, and things of that nature. You may have fear of heights. So onward, if you're for something upward, if you're against, got it. Okay. Okay. Onward or upward, uh, new year's resolutions. Upward. Not for them. No. Do you, uh, have you done them in the past and you were like, okay, that really doesn't work? I've thought about them in the past, but I haven't really done them. Um, being in education for the last almost 20 years, my year doesn't start then. So I usually have New Year's resolutions maybe at the beginning of the academic year. Oh, your year is different. Right, my so year is different. It's uh, teacher's new year. Right. <laughs> That's what we'll do, teacher's resolutions. All right, very good. How about voicemail? Onward or upward? <laughs> upward. You're not much on the phone. No. Yeah. I don't listen so. to my messages. Do you just call the person back and go, I have no idea what you said. What's That's going right. on? That's right. <laughs> so just in case we need to get in touch with you, is it texting? That's better? Texting. Got it. Or email. Colonizing Mars. Onward or upward? Onward. You want to go? Yes. No, I mean, you want to yes. go? Yes. Oh, literally? Yes. Okay. What uh, what makes it interesting to you? What makes it something that uh, you feel like we should be doing? And what makes you want to go? 
Uh, let's see, that's a lot of questions. Um, I think that I would like to go because it's a big risk and it would be making a difference and there are fewer people there. <laughs> so the lack of people is really the, right. the big key for you. Right, right. Nice. All right. All right. I like no, I think we need to be um, at least thinking about it because the kinds of, not that we'd ever necessarily get there, but the kinds of things that we'd figure out in trying to get there might solve other problems. So you, so literally onward, it's sort of that exploration mm-hmm. in, in order to get better as uh, people, as a culture, et cetera. Right. Yeah. Okay. How about Bitcoin? Onward <laughs> or upward? You know, I'm not sure I know enough to answer that. I would say maybe onward, um, just because I think that it gives us uh, maybe a little more control as a people rather than somebody else controlling everything. But I'm not really sure. So a cautionary onward. Yeah. Okay. I'll take that. Uh, Facebook is changing its feed algorithm. Uh, have you looked at that? What do you think about that? I, I guess from a couple of different hats, from a Facebook user's perspective, but then also from an educator's perspective. And are you familiar with what they're doing? Tell me what they're doing because I'm always hearing that they're changing it. And- yeah, 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 yeah. So literally, and the, the a lot of the analysis has looked at it and gone, okay, Facebook's actually going to get smaller. So what they're going to do is they're looking for more meaningful interactions. And so the way they're looking to do that is to uh, lower the number of interactions that you might have with new sources, not necessarily ads, but new sources and things that you uh, that haven't been confirmed to an extent. Right. So really, it's still it's going to go back to your friends and family uh, and less video content, less news content. They're looking at it as a way for you not to get necessarily all your news, but get your actual uh, your your interpersonal relationship. So I think that's interesting, though, because um with what I've been doing with our school lately, my Facebook really isn't friends and family anymore. My Facebook is business as well. So I'm not really sure that I want to interact with those people all the time anyway. And I have so many friends out there now on Facebook that I am just strategically going through and looking at their feeds if I want to see their feeds and I'm turning them off if I don't. Mm -hmm. And I'm not getting a lot of news that way. So the only things I'm getting access to, at least right now, are things that I've liked and then things that I've allowed to still hit my feed. So if those things are changing. Um, I'm not sure I'm using Facebook in that way anyway. So I'm not sure. Do you feel like it's a, is it a concern of yours? You know, there was a lot of talk, especially after the 2016 election about the echo chamber, mm-hmm. right? So if you are turning off the stuff you don't agree with and only turning right. on the things you do agree with or the people you do agree with, then you're always going to see a world which agrees with you. Right. I think there's a big danger of that. Yeah. That that's exactly what people are doing. And they're doing it at home, too, though. I mean, they're watching one news channel and they say, well, the news said this. And and I'm, you know, what news? Oh, it's just Fox News or it's just CNN or whatever. And that's the only news feed that they're getting. And they're not having conversations about other things. And I think that um, we have the ability to to write, live in our own world without access to other kinds of news feeds. And I think that that's interesting, but the idea that Facebook can fix that for us strikes me as wrong. Right, or that it should in or a that way. it should. Right. Yeah, yeah right. because it's going to, at some point, somebody has to decide what it's showing and what it's not showing, right? Right. So huh, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. I'm still trying to figure out if I regret my decision 
to only have three friends on Facebook. I'm one of them, though. Yeah, well, it was mostly because <laughs> uh, I needed to be, I needed to have access to your uh, ads account. Right. So now I can unfriend you. Right. So that'll be, <laughs> that'll be really good for me. Uh, award season. So we just had uh, People's Choice, maybe? Uh, and the Golden Globes are coming up. And, of course, it all culminates in the Emmys and the Oscars and the Tonys and all of that stuff. How do you feel about award season, onward or Completely upward? Completely meaningless to me. Okay, so totally upward. Yes. So I you know don't nothing. watch it. You don't. Let me ask you this because I think a lot of people kind of uh, uh, put it out there that, okay, well, I don't feel any way about it. But if the Oscar nominates these movies, I should probably go and see them. Do you feel that way about anything? Not usually. Yeah. Um, I'm not a big movie watcher. Um, I know who actors and actresses are when I see them. I couldn't tell you their names. Never have been able to. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't doesn't do anything for me. All right. Fair I enough. might see a movie, but you might see a movie. You're you're the perfect consumer. Uh, zombies. How do you feel about zombies? Oh, I'm learning to love them. <laughs> just IRL or uh, just in, in literature in general? Uh, yeah, so my son's a big zombie fan. Um, I am starting to see the connection between zombies and post-apocalyptic literature mm -hmm. or dystopian literature, which I've been doing a lot of lately. Um and now they have a few books that are combining some of that. So if I can just get past the grotesqueness of it, I'm not sure. Yeah. Or the obsession. So if somebody's obsessed with it, I'm not really that interested. But um, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe maybe onward. As a reader, um, and you you like sci-fi, mm -hmm. you like the, uh, the, the fantasy worlds that are out there. Um, how easy is it for you to suspend your disbelief when you're reading that stuff or when you do occasionally watch like a sci-fi movie? I like sci-fi better than fantasy for that reason. Um, when it is fantasy and it's unicorns and fairies and magic and some of those sorts of things, maybe I'm a little bit more hesitant. But when it's um, science fiction mm -hmm. and it's based on good research, then it feels like it could potentially be true one day that I'm much better with that. So that allows you to just go into the story about the interactions between the people and, right. you know, just... I accept that they're on this type of spaceship doing this type of mission. Now let's talk about the characters and the characterizations. Right. I don't think about, well, they've been in space for 30 years. Um, their bone density would be deteriorating. I don't I don't think about right. those sorts of things. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. They have artificial gravity. They've I'm not going to worry right. about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. That's good. That's good. Uh, okay. Talking about artificial gravity, taking your phone <laughs> in the bathroom. Um... Onward yeah, or upward? I I have to say probably onward. <laughs> you're uh, you're not necessarily for that, but it's something that I I think we are all potentially doing at this point. Sure, uh, phone or Kindle or something because it's the only private space I have in my entire life. <laughs> and nice. if my phone were waterproof, it might go in the bathroom in the shower with me. Right, right. Okay, well let's uh, we can work on that. We can <laughs> work something out. Maybe there's a future bad business idea out of right, that. Right, right about coffee onward or upward onward gotta have it gotta have it multiple times like how much coffee do you have when did you start drinking coffee um not quite as much as i used to but um i drink coffee all day i'll drink two cups in the morning sometimes more and in the afternoon i can drink coffee in the evening and i'm still fine to go to bed so, so it has no effect on you whatsoever it keeps me at a normal level whereas most people are maybe uh that level already i'm not sure uh, okay it's a consistency thing all day my dad too he gets up in the middle of the night has a cup of coffee goes back to bed 
Wow. Yep. All right. <laughs> I can't explain that at all. Uh, how about Black Mirror on Amazon? Have you been, or um, no, no Netflix? Have Netflix. you been watching any of that? No. So it's the uh, sort of new version of the Twilight Zone. A lot what? of technology, a lot of, uh, you know, the, the darker side of technology mainly is what they discuss in those. Yeah, somebody was recently just telling me about that. I go on Netflix binges periodically, but I haven't had time to do that lately. All right, fair enough. Uh, driverless cars. <laughs> Onward or upward? Onward. Okay. Yeah, I would definitely uh, see the benefit of that. Would you hop in one tomorrow? Uh, no. <laughs> no, they have to be a little bit better first. I mean, they're getting there already with the automatic braking and the, the um, inner, no, what is it, the uh, customizable cruise control where you can yeah. tell it six cars back and it'll brake for you. It's kind of an interesting thing. If you're going, driving down the road and you go over to the right, it'll kind of pull you back, which is kind of nice. Um, yeah, I think that that would be good. And I think it should be carpools. We should be sharing our driving. So, yeah, that's one thing that a lot of people have brought up is that it's not only the idea of driverless cars, because even if you have autonomous cars, you're still going to have traffic if there's only one person per car. Right. So how do you get in there once we start doing this and really fixing things? And it's not just the whole Pizza Hut idea of driverless delivery cars, which sounds crazy. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, you want to have a little bit more of a plan. But I think in general, the idea of getting in something and not having to think about anything, being able to, you know, be on your Kindle or be right. on your phone or read a book or something along those lines. That's the part that I like. I, I don't like driving. I don't like traffic. I don't like um, seeing everybody coming at me and the tiny roads and, and not being able to multitask at the same time. I think that, let me ask you this, because uh, this just brought up a thing, because as an introvert, mm -hmm. and I'm going to assume you're an introvert. Oh, yeah. Uh, surprisingly enough. Uh, what about the idea of carpooling appeals to you other than the, you know, the environmental part, but is it unappealing in the sense that you'd be in the car with a bunch of other people who might want to talk to you? <laughs> well, um, if I knew them, then they might know that I don't like to talk. Um, there's always headsets. And if I don't know them, then it's easier to put on headsets and ignore them. Okay. I took MARTA a lot when I was in Atlanta. Oh, yeah. It's a lot for that reason. I would drive to the station and then I would hop on MARTA. And so part of it is um, it's no longer in my control. There's nothing I can do about it. And so I can quit trying to uh, fix it or get there faster. And I can just focus on reading or studying or prepping lessons or something like that. Nice. So eventually we could do a, a carpool like an uh, like a driverless lift for introverts. Right. That is just each of the <laughs> sides is just a compartment that you can get in and it's screened off. Well, I like the idea of the sci-fi um, situation where when you the maybe like Google Glasses where when you walk up to people, there's just a little bubble over their head that says, don't talk to me. Oh, that's nice. So then you don't need separate compartments. You can get into the car and people will look up and say, oh, okay, well, yeah, sure. You just have that. So you can see out. It's like one-way glass, basically. Yeah. And yeah. so it tells you everything that they want to. It's like social media, but you're walking around face-to-face. -face. <laughs> and it says, wow. don't talk to me. Speaking of dystopian future. Right. Uh, okay. Well, let's go to this then because this might lead to a dystopian future. Uh, China's uh, Tianyong-1 space station will be crashing to Earth in about a month or so. 
Uh, onward or upward? <laughs> um, upward? Upward? I'd You're rather it melt. That. I'd yeah. rather it melt before it comes crashing down. So it's actually a, a relatively small space station. So Skylab was a, a big one in the 70s. Um, so it was about three or four times uh, the size of Tianyang-1. So it's a small one. It'll probably burn up for the most part in the atmosphere. Where will it hit? We don't know. So they can it's just predict kind of, that. They just aren't telling us. Well, no, when it gets closer, they'll be able to tell. So it's it's one of those things where you can't really predict until the very end. It's not like they're uh, shooting off the rockets to get it to go somewhere specifically. It's just it's out of control and it's starting to fall back to Earth. Oh, okay. So it's not a controlled fall. Correct. Okay. They yeah. could make it a controlled fall and then we'd know where it'd land, right? Maybe. Yeah, but this is, so to me, this is more of the, uh, you know, the the not knowing Makes me feel more alive. Right. Yeah. Sure. I mean, other than right it. now, we're in a basement, so we're pretty much protected <laughs> from anything. Like, we could go out and it could be zombie apocalypse out there, but we don't know because we're in a basement. That's true. Yeah. This is where they all come, though. Oh, man. Why'd you have to say that? Right. They just sense us here. No, because they want to broadcast. Oh, yeah. But we can't do that. I'm going to go lock the door. Okay. Okay. Uh, Maria del Rosario Mercedes Pilar Martinez Molina Baeza. Onward or upward? (laughs) What? Uh, Oh, you might know her from her stage name, Charo. Yeah. No. Onward or upward. She turned 66 today. Don't know anything. Charo? Don't know anything. You don't know about Charo? No. You've never watched The Love Boat as a kid? Oh, yeah, I have. Yeah. So who's that? Charo, the the coochie coochie lady. (laughs) That feels vaguely familiar. Yeah. All right, fine. She's 66 today. You're asking me about people and celebrities. She's, it, yeah, I am. All right, cursive. How about okay. that? Yes. So teaching it in schools, requiring oh. it to be taught in schools, onward or upward? Well, you just asked two different questions. Oh, okay. So teaching it, yes. Requiring it and assessing it, no. Oh, okay. Right? So think about what you're saying. I think it's, I think for, um, I think it's a good idea. Um, it's painful for me to watch students who are trying to write or take notes and they print. It takes them a lot more effort to print. Cursive is such a more fluid language or written language that they can they can write and get enough written down when they're writing in cursive because it's faster. But there's also some research, my understanding, there's research that shows that it's a different part of your brain when you're using cursive. Yeah, almost like an artistic part, right? Yeah, and it... it Um, especially for kids who are maybe dyslexic or even dysgraphic, they don't have to have the same fine motor skills to actually write as they do to print um, when they're writing in cursive. Um, So I think, yes, teach it. I think require it and assess it is ridiculous. Actually, it's interesting because I think the, I didn't, I I always stop at the requiring part. I never think about the assessment part. Mm -hmm. So if you that's require when, it, you have to assess it. Well, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the idea is that if you're assessing it, it's very subjective, right? Especially when something like cursive is coming up. So you might discourage somebody from ever writing in cursive again if you start taking points off for the way they're curling their L or something like right. that, right? Right. Like, really, what does it matter as long as they can read it um, and as long as they're learning something from it? That should be the assessment part of it, not necessarily the the artistic integrity of it. Right, and expecting everybody to be able to write cursive at a mastery level, which is kind of ridiculous for a third grader anyway, to be thinking of them mastering anything. But um, 
to master it. And some kids may never get there, right? It's a skill that some kids have better um, fine motor skills, but as long as it's functional and it's, um, and it's working for them, then that should be all that they care about. But they don't, they're going to say, well, well, you know, Johnny is doing it better and he's getting his curly cues exactly right. And I'm sorry, there's not a single adult I know who actually writes in cursive the same way. Right. Yeah. We can all read it. Yeah. So. Yeah, or at the very least, we can read it ourselves, which is the more important thing. <laughs> sure, because we don't send cursive letters to anybody anymore. Not often. Right. Not often, except for, you know, grandmas who sign cards and we can't read those. Right. So, well, that's actually an interesting point. So a lot of the kids at our school, they can't read cursive. Yeah. So maybe it's becoming our secret adult language. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. Coded messages. Right. Okay. Very good. Yeah, because Pig Latin doesn't work. I never learned Pig Latin as a kid. Yeah, I know it, but the kids also know that. So <laughs> It's a really difficult code to break. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. All right, how about sandwiches, onward or upward? Uh, I would say onward, just for the simplicity of it, but um, maybe not for the bread. Okay. I don't, know. I don't eat bread that much anymore, so. All right, let's take a bit, step back from that. What's your right. favorite, in general, what's your favorite sandwich to make for yourself? Uh, and then what is your favorite sandwich to have made for you? <laughs> Actually, I like to make sandwiches and I do things like, I don't know, some sort of sandwich meat, turkey or buffalo chicken or something like that. Lettuce, tomato, salt, pepper, onion, salt, um, pickles, potato chips, maybe something that gives it a crunch. So basically just a dagwood. You're just throwing yeah. everything on there. <clears throat> sure. Yeah. Um, but you have to have the salt and pepper and onion salt. Onion salt. Okay, I thought you were just repeating salt because you're such a big fan. No, no. Salt, pepper, and onion salt. Onion salt. What, what is onion salt? Onion salt is onion flavoring that you can add to all sorts of things. It makes everything good. Okay. All right. Very and good. to have made for me, I would say the same thing. But <laughs> if I'm making it for somebody else, peanut butter and jelly. Because <laughs> I don't have time for you. Right. Here's your peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Right. Be quiet. <laughs> nice. All right. Onward or upward the beach? Onward. Yeah, you like yeah, the beach? I grew up on the beach. You uh, grew up up in Georgia? In Georgia, St. Simon's. On the beach? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep, sailing. Um, yeah, I was about to say surfing, but that's not true because there are no waves there. Sailing. Um, and uh, yeah, that's my entire life was growing up on the beach. Okay. So do you go now? I go now, not as much as, um, as I would like because the amount of time it takes to get there is... A little different for me. I know everybody, it's so funny. They say, we live less than an hour from the beach. Um, no, we don't. Right? We're living in Central Florida. It takes at least an hour to get to the beach. I don't know what beach people are going to or it takes them less than an hour. But um, you know, by the time you get there and then you have pay for parking and I don't know, it's just a little bit of a different situation. And um, it's unfortunate. My kids don't love the beach as much as I do. Mm-hmm. And so to get them there and then they, you know, their concession stands and they want to buy stuff and you know the days of taking a cooler and just kind of sitting and relaxing um aren't there anymore so we don't go as much as often as much as i used to okay so if we get the beach autonomous bus going where everything is loaded on and just shoots it all out at you as sure. you as you get off. every okay. day okay very good we got a new business venture going right right all right uh tiny houses love them Onward. Onward for yes. that. Okay. What do you love about them? Um, the efficiency of them. I like um, I like how creative they are in designing the way things fold down or fold in or, you know, you can pull things out and it's there, but it's not overly cluttered. It's simple. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate having too much stuff. 
you know, that, that we clutter our houses with things we don't need. So you like, so is it that it forces you to have fewer things? I think it's the design principle of it, period. I mean, I'm, yeah. um, I'm a, I'm a designer. I, not saying that I like to design my. I'm not a designer in that I'm um, creatively decorating a place. For me, it's about function. Um, how can I make something more efficient? How can I make something work better? How can I make something take less effort to do what I need to get done? Um, it's the way I think of designing courses. The way I think of managing um, teams of people. It's I have a goal and how do I get there? And I don't need all the fluff. I don't need all of the extra garbage getting in the way. And so when you're in a tiny house, um, I think that it forces you to do that. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's maybe it's the process, too, of okay, how could I make this living room work for three people and have everything that we need? It's just kind of the design, the, the idea of it. But the other thing I like about tiny houses, and you're going to think this is funny because I'm an introvert, but I like the idea of tiny communities mm-hmm. where we don't all need our own kitchen, right? We don't all need our own everything, our own spaces. Um, I like the idea of tiny house communities where you have maybe a clubhouse or something where you have the big kitchen there right? and you can come together to create meals or share meals. And or you can, that's how you can invite people over if you do want to have people over. Right. We do it in the community space, yeah. not in my living space where they come in and sit in the seat that I like to sit in and um, don't leave. All right. I think that's a very specific thing. So if you could label that chair, uh, because I don't know when I come to your house now, I'm never going to sit down. So I'm like, which is is her chair? Right. She's going to be so mad at me. Yeah. No. (laughs) Tiny houses onward for sure. So I like the the sense of community, though. So Mm -hmm. it's not just because I think people look at the tiny house movement and they see isolationism. No. But it. You know, even though they're on wheels, I don't think they move all that much. People are usually looking to live in one place for the most part. but Not all of them are on wheels. Right, right. right. Um, and some tiny houses are just small apartment, right? Like studio apartment is kind of a tiny house in a way. Right. Um, because you're still going to have that communal space and things like that. So I like that idea of the the centralized, not a commune. We're not hippies here. Uh, yeah, you know. There's, yeah, maybe there's a little some pluses bit. to that. A little bit, a little bit. Right, I mean, the whole idea of, of neighborhood and shared um, resources and knowing who the people are who live around you. I live yeah. in a neighborhood now. I don't know anybody. Nobody comes outside, right? They don't um, They don't talk to each other. When I first moved here, I moved into a neighborhood that was, was kind of like this. All I could afford was a little small place. And um, we went outside all the time and we met a lot of people mm-hmm. and I could go back to my place if I was tired of people, but it was nice to be able to go out and have conversations with people when I wanted to, and then be able to go back home. So it was, it was, it forced me to talk to people. So I've seen that happen, uh, on, it's so weird on cul-de-sacs, especially they seem right. to create a community right? just because there's no through traffic. It's just easier to go outside, I guess, on a, to an extent. Yeah, I think the kids will go outside when you live in a cul-de-sac. Yeah. I live on a corner that is blind both directions. Right. And we can't play. The kids can't play there. So. Right. Not very safe. No. And there's no front porches either. So nobody sits out front exactly. and talks yeah. to each other. Yeah. So right. I think I'm going to build a tiny house in my backyard. So you could just commune with your... So your <laughs> house, your actual house would be the clubhouse. That's right. Oh, perfect. Yes. You just want to be isolated in the backyard. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I need a room of my own. <laughs> That's not the bathroom. Uh, okay, so you're from Georgia. Yes. 
important question. The dessert, not the person who fixes shoes. Cobbler, onward or upward? Uh, yeah, onward. I'm not a big dessert person, but if I'm going to have dessert, I like the idea of apple or peach cobbler with vanilla ice cream. Okay. Yeah, I think it's a good one. Uh, do you prefer pie or cobbler? Either. I don't okay. really prefer either. So it's just a... Yeah, it's yeah. okay. Crust and fruit filling and It's the same hot. when it gets all mixed up on the yeah. plate anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Very good. Well, I feel like I know you a lot better now. <laughs> and so we're going to play another song, and then we're going to come back with more about our school. I definitely want to dig in and okay. talk to you about where the idea for our school came from and how it happened and, and things like that. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, we'll do bad business ideas. We'll do a pop quiz. So as a teacher, no I feel assessment. like... You should. Oh, I'm assessing you, 100. <laughs> percent If you don't know who Charo no. is, this is going to be very Assessment's interesting. Assessment's good. <laughs> so let's listen to uh, September 67. This is Fire Engine Red on WPRK, Warner Park, Florida. You're listening to a certain degree. September 67 on WPRK, Warner Park, Florida. You're listening to a certain degree. That was their song, Fire Engine Red. And that reminded me of a crayon, and that reminded me of school, and that reminded me of Mary Beth Hebner, my very special guest today, uh, from our school, one of the founding directors of our school. Good morning, Mary Beth. Good morning, Nick. Thanks again for coming in so early and making me a part of your day. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so weird when I say it out loud. Uh, Mary Beth, let's talk about our school a little bit, sort of in the sense of not only what it has become, but... How did it start, right? So the idea of not only homeschooling to me, like when we were first talking about uh, my wife and I talking about our kids and trying to figure out what we were going to do. There were some options out there that were like three days a week in school and then two days a week homeschool. And that seemed very intimidating to us. Uh, and I think for one reason, the, the time and the skill set necessary or at least what we thought was the skill set necessary to do that. Uh, now it seems homeschooling is a lot more uh, prevalent. And so uh, I want to talk about that a little bit. But first, when it comes to our school, how did that come about? And how was the process? Like, what what did you do to, to start it, basically? Oh, wow. That's, um, that's, that's a big question. So... I have twins. Um, you know that, but not everybody else knows that. I have boy-girl twins. And as we all know, boy-girl twins are going to be very, very different from each other. Um, although when they were little, I get asked all the time if they're identical. And I'm like, um, no, they're not, right? You know they're a boy and a girl. And no, they're not identical. But they're also not the same in other ways. And as a mother of twins, I think that maybe I see that more quickly than a lot of other people do. Um, the idea of education being um, lockstep with kids who were kind of sort of born during the same time as you and expecting everybody to develop at the same speed um, just doesn't happen with kids. And I just had a firsthand experience with that with one child who was way ahead of the game and another child, while still within normal range, was delaying um, developing a little bit um, more slowly than his sister. So it was interesting having twins that were almost two years apart in their developmental stages, um, uh, academically, emotionally, uh, those sorts of things. So from the very beginning, I knew that I needed to do something different. And in Georgia, I was teaching full time at a small college. So my hours on campus 
maybe spent 20 hours a week on campus and the rest I could do around the clock. I could do at different times. Mm -hmm. So I'd planned on homeschooling when I was in Georgia. Um, The options there were not very good. The public school systems um, weren't ideal for where I was zoned. So I started thinking about it then and researching it. I looked into the idea of co-ops there and and then life happened. I moved to Florida, got the kids into an interesting pilot program at Audubon Elementary and um, big shout out to that program because what I saw um, worked. It was a multi-age program where the kids were mixed in with um, kids of varying ages and they were a little bit off the grid. This was um, several years ago and instead of them being um, assessed in the same way that the other kids were, it was, um, the expectations were different. There was nobody coming in, seeing if you had the standard written on the board and making sure that you were teaching the same standard as the other classrooms were teaching that same day. And what I realized pretty quickly was that my son wasn't reading. Um, Now, you know, he's first grade, so what, right? I mean, some kids don't learn to read that early and it's okay. Um, or it used to be okay. It's no longer okay. But then they're behind. Um, mm-hmm. But he wasn't reading, and I thought he was. And rather than him being remediated in the way that other teachers might have done it, this teacher was able to um, figure out what worked for my son. And she tried a variety of curriculums. She tried. Um, she talked to other teachers, and she was able to bring other things into the classroom that worked for him. And now he reads like crazy. It's no problem. But had she not been able to adapt and pick and choose as a teacher should be able to do, um, maybe he would have continued to struggle with reading. They would have kept pounding things into him that weren't working. Um, She pushed to have him assessed. And what the school system told me at first was we don't assess kids until they fail the FCAT in third grade. And her response and my response was, why should we wait? He's already struggling. Why should we wait? So we got him assessed. And what we realized pretty quickly was that his ability to do phonics was in something like the bottom third percentile for his age range. And so had they continued to drill him in things that weren't working for him, he might not have learned to read for several more years. So that experience was um, enlightening for me. By the time he hit third grade, I decided he wasn't going to take the FSA. It was they, That was the year they changed it. So mm-hmm. it was no longer the FCAT, it was the FSA first year um, launching that particular test and uh, I realized that I just couldn't let him take that test because to me that wasn't a good indication of how he was doing in school. His teachers would tell me, sure, he's progressing, look at this, and they would use um, different assessments to show me that he was progressing, yet on the benchmark assessments, the ones that were like the FSA were going to be, we thought, um, he wasn't progressing. And so... I kept questioning them, you know, what's what's the difference? You have these tests that show he's progressing. The benchmark tests show he's not progressing. And they said, well, the tests we used to use show that he's learning and he's doing better, but the benchmarks don't. And they didn't know the reason why. And so I couldn't let him take it that year. Right. Um, and it's not just, you know, he he's very bright. He learns differently. He has um, some really good, um, strong Uh, learning abilities in some areas and he struggles in a couple of other things but it wasn't just him it was my daughter as well she was really um, struggling with anxiety that year Um, it was all about the assessments and all about the tests and she was coming home with um, big F's on her papers because she'd written a conclusion for an essay that uh, the requirements for that particular assignment didn't ask her to write a conclusion And so the teacher was docking points because she didn't follow directions. And 
for me, it was about creativity. You know, she would add something to it. She would give it a little flair. She would give it something that had to do with what she thought, um, you know, as part of her. And she was starting to lose points because of that. And she was becoming this um, this identical creature to all the other kids that, that I knew she wasn't. This was a kid who, instead of story time, me reading to her when she was two, she would tell me stories. And I didn't want to stifle that. So you have two different kids here who are not um, functioning very well in the current system. So about midway through their third grade year, I finally realized that that um, that I, I knew more than the people who were trying to teach them. It wasn't the teachers. It was the administration. Right. It was the assessment. It was the way that things are going within sure. the, uh, the organizations and the institution itself. Definitely not the teachers. No, the teachers are doing a great job. I was very lucky with the teachers that we had, um, but it was just the, the system itself. So trying to get them where I knew that they could go um, just wasn't working. So at the end of third grade, I pulled them out. I looked for private schools. Um, I don't know how many people have looked for private schools, but it's very, very difficult to find schools that fit the needs of two very different children at a price range that, you know, somebody working middle class could actually afford. Mm-hmm. Um, you have very expensive schools out there. You have um, you have religious schools out there. It was just an interesting process. Um, and after about a year of that, six months of that, I realized that um, it wasn't going to work for them um, and got together with a few other educators and decided that we were going to start a school that met the needs of the kids we had rather than trying to force the kids to be what we thought they should be. So in that process and looking at Florida versus other states, maybe, I don't know if you've done a little bit of that, but it was relatively easy to start a school (laughs) in Florida. Is that correct? Yes. Scary. It was actually scary how easy it was. Um, and, and I say that it really, it, it wasn't super easy, the business part is what's not easy. You know, you have to start a business. I'm an English major um, with education background. Uh, didn't know a whole lot about business, although I did have some experience with that. Um, at uh, I was a banker before I went into education, which a lot of people don't know. So I'm really, I am good with numbers. I'm good with budgeting. I spent my whole life doing budgets. Um, that was part of my job in banking. But, and it was also part of my job at Rollins when I was working at Rollins as well, um, operations management. So I learned by doing, I didn't go to school for business, but you put those two things together and it was funny, everywhere I went, I ran into teachers who said, I always wanted to start a school, but they didn't have the business piece. And I'd run into business piece, business people who said, surely there must be a way to make money running a school. And I just kind of laughed at them. There's not really, No. but, um, the process of starting the school in the state of Florida, all you really have to do is have a business and register with the state. Um, there's a lot of gray areas that uh, that people don't, um, it's not documented. They haven't uh, caught up with what needs to be done. You register with the state and that's how you become a private school. All right. Well, that seems pretty easy, but I think the the what would be the roadblock for me was I wouldn't know how to teach. I wouldn't know how to do any of those things. So, but you coming in with that background right. and coming in with really the, the motivation of having kids that you want to teach differently and, and considering that there's probably other people out there that want to do the same thing is there's a market for that. And yeah. from an affordability and an accessibility standpoint, there's a market for that as well. So now that you're uh, several years into our school, you have two years 
into our school, several. Okay. <laughs> right. The English teacher is correcting me. <laughs> is it fewer or less when I'm talking about? Um, now that you're in a, a couple years into it, uh, looking at it, having a couple in a few different uh, locations too, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not just located here in Orlando. You have a couple of uh, locations, Port Orange being one. Lakeland. Lakeland. And then Orlando, right. Uh, so what have you learned from this so far? What has been your takeaway? And has it been as satisfying as it sounds like it would be kind of taking a step back and going, okay, I, I, I needed this for my kids. Uh, Orlando needed this. And, it, you know, we're, we're actually filling a void that was there to an extent. Right. Yeah, we're definitely filling filling a gap. Um, it is satisfying. It's it's exciting. Um, every day is something new, and I think what I've learned is that with three locations, that there is no one way of doing this. Um, we get calls all the time. We get emails. Can you bring in our school to us? And what they're asking is for us to bring what we've already developed and bring it to them. But until I get to know that community, um, there, there's no way of knowing. We don't design a one-size-fits-all type education approach. We are designing each location uh, to meet the needs of the kids who are there. So Lakeland, it's almost all full-time kids. Uh, very few homeschool children in, uh, in our Lakeland location, whether that's because that's what's there or just happens to be the kids that we ended up with. I'm not sure yet. Um, in Port Orange and in Orlando, it's mostly homeschooled kids. So... Um, I think my takeaway is that, um, well, I have lots of takeaways. I think what I'm learning is to be patient. I have this this idea in my head of what I want it to be, and um, and it's it's not that I'm imposing that idea on it. It's just I know what the possibilities are, and I also know that it takes time to get there. There's just not enough hours in the day to get everything done um, that need to be done to actually get us where I think we can go. But... Um, yeah, every kid is different, and every day is different, and every teacher is different, and it it um, it really takes a team. So I remember when I first started this, I was explaining to somebody what I was planning on doing, and I was explaining that, you know, it's a little bit of this, kind of, well, here's one for you, Amelia Bedelia. Mm-hmm. You know who Amelia Bedelia is? Mm-hmm. So I, I do. It's not a celebrity, but it's um, it was impactful for me. It was, you know, I, I read a lot growing up and I just loved the idea of a little of this and a little of that. And that's kind of the way that we've designed our locations. Um, we get calls all the time from parents. What curriculum do you use? And I say, well, that depends. And the ones who freak out are the ones who probably aren't a good fit for us. And the ones who say, you know, it speaks to their soul. They're like, oh, we do that too. Then they're a good fit. So maybe learning to assess the families is a big takeaway as well. If they want to know, are my children going to be um, ready for high school? Are they going to be able to get into X school? What curriculum do you use? Those aren't the right families for what we're trying to do because they have an idea in their head of what should be done and not really an idea of uh, how yeah, how, and what yeah. the best step is for their kids. Yeah, it seems like they're much more in their own way, very assessment oriented. Sure. And so that doesn't really, uh, doesn't really work. Right. Uh, for you, for our right. school. We, we value assessments. Um, we have to know where kids are, mm-hmm. but it's not an assessment that measures them against where we think they should be. They are where they are, and then we move forward from there. Got it. All right. Well, uh, let us listen to another song. Actually, before we do that, I do want to ask you, 
No. So this just occurred to me. Thinking back, coming out of high school, going, did you go directly to college? I did. And so you weren't expecting to be here. Absolutely not. Yeah. No. So what were you thinking about when you went to college and what best prepared you to become, you know, it's strange because you're a small business person now, Mm -hmm. uh, which I don't think you were expecting to do. No, I'm everything I said I was never going to be. Right. And so there was this idea in your head of what you should be. But are you, were you, did college prepare you? You went out and got two master's degrees. Did that prepare you for what you're doing now? Or did it at least set the foundation for who you are and what you do? I think what's interesting, Nick, is that I had no idea what I wanted to do um, when I went into college. I knew where I was going. I applied to one college. There was never any question about it. Um, being a Georgia girl, I had to go to UGA, and that was it was just never a question. So I went. Um, I took a lot of college classes, dual enrolled in high school. So I had several credits under my belt when I went. And I started to panic. You know, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, my friends were all business majors, and I would rather, um, yeah, I'd rather move out to Utah and dig in the dirt than become a business major at the time. I couldn't figure out how they were even making it through class. Uh, it seemed so boring to me. You know, it was learning a bunch of rules and, and laws, and I didn't understand it. Um I also did not want to be a teacher. I went to the career center and took those assessments that tell you, you know, what maybe what you should be more inclined to do. And it was like it started smoking and steaming and red lights flashing saying, teacher, teacher, teacher. And I'm like, no way, no way am I ever going to be a teacher. Um, I was an introvert. I couldn't talk in class. I was shy. I never spoke in class. Um, I couldn't figure out that. So business and teaching were the two things that kind of surrounded me. And I, I just said, no, there was no way. So um, my mother finally just said, major in something. I don't care what it is. Do something. And and so I did. I chose English, not because I was better at it. Um, I was better in math, but it was interesting. It was challenging. Um, I liked the idea of trying to solve problems and English and you know, reading novels and things. I can analyze things to death, and it was a lot of fun. So I did that and um, got married right out of college. And nobody would hire me. So uh, he was military. We lived in a little small town in Beaufort, South Carolina. And every time I went to get a job, it was, you know, it was, it was the same thing over and over and over again. I wasn't married to um, an officer. I was married to an enlisted man. And I had a college degree. So I was either overeducated or um, underranked by my husband's um, right. job. So finally, a bank hired me, and they hired me as a receptionist. And immediately, I started doing other things. I started solving problems. I taught myself how to use spreadsheets. I'd never seen a spreadsheet in my life and started making their processes more efficient and um, and learned a lot that way. So that's how I got into banking. And then it was only um, years later that I decided to go back to school, and I couldn't decide even then what I wanted to do. But again, I chose English, got a master's in English. And then a couple of years later, somebody said, hey, do you want to teach online? And I said, I don't know how. So I started taking classes to help me um, learn to do that and started taking education classes. And that was where I got into instructional design and technology and kind of felt like things were coming together there because the idea of designing courses is about trying to solve problems. Um, and so that was how I ended up doing that. I could see how that would be very appealing because then you're 
you're taking something, you're translating it to the the best way or the best method that someone would take that away with them. Right. Right. And somebody would learn that. Right. So it's no surprise that you ended up here in a way. Right, right. <laughs> That's true. Very nice. But I had no idea I was going here. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and, you know, I, I think that speaks to a little bit of the expectation of college in the first place. Sure. Right? Like, it should just prepare you to be, in a way, human and be able to interact with people. Um, and maybe some skill sets that are foundational for learning other things and doing other things rather it, than learning one thing and only being able to do that. I think it depends on the person, right? I mean, I'm I'm very thankful, um, no offense to people who have majored in education as an undergraduate, but I was really worried about being boxed in that um, I change all the time. I mean, I am a person now that I wasn't when I was 18. You know, I'm teaching, I'm running a business, I'm doing the things I didn't think I was going to do. And... I've seen um, a lot of people come through with certain kinds of degrees. And and if you have a degree in education, for example, people expect you to be a teacher forever. And that doesn't translate into other jobs and other fields as easily as something that's a little more um, general or liberal arts, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the whole idea of, of Rollins and the liberal arts degree, I think, is something that I definitely buy into. For other people, I think that they're, they know exactly what they want to do and going to college to be trained for something or getting specific skills actually makes a lot of sense. I think the answer is variety. We need options for people. All right. Well, there you go. So our school college is right. coming up. <laughs> Credentialing. <laughs> right. Exactly. So right. I want, I definitely want to talk about that, but we do have to take a break and we'll come back with bad business ideas. We'll talk about um, what are, where I really want to grow, go is super, like there's credentialing, there's micro-credentialing, is like super micro-credentialing, like Twitter style. <laughs> you read 280 characters, you take it to heart, you memorize it, and then you're micro-micro-credentialed in a certain subject. Sure. So let's talk about that off air. Uh, we'll be right back with Mary Beth Hebner of Our School. You can learn more about that at rschool.us. Correct. And uh, we're going to play a song right now. This is Yui with Lissaria on WPRK Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to a certain degree. Ben Harper and the Innocent Criminals on WPRK Winter Park, Florida. That was like a king. You're listening to a certain degree and uh, happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day. My name is Nick. I'm here every week. And every week I have a very special guest this week, no exception, Mary Beth Hebner is here. Good morning, Mary Beth. Good morning, Nick. From our school, uh, ourschool.us, you can learn more about the school that she helped found. She's a founding director. Founding Find, director, right. Finding director. Founding. Finding. Founding. Am I saying that right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but a very interesting concept in terms of uh, school that's out there. So it's really a... It could be a full-time school. It could be a part-time school if you're teaching from home. You could do uh, different classes in there. Uh, even if they go to, uh, you know, public school, you could do different classes through that. I brought my daughter to my class uh, that I teach over there as well. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, but first, we have something to do, and I have a song for it. So you get to listen to the song right now. Bad business ideas, it's time to pick just one. It's gonna be totally legal, we hope it won't hurt anyone. So come on. 
Yes, bad business ideas. They're the New Year's resolutions of startups. Uh, before we get to your ideas, you're an English major. Right. So I went with some bad business ideas that really rely on one major strength. Grammar? Terrible, terrible puns. <laughs> yeah. No, not so much grammar. Mary Beth, may I call you Mary Beth? Sure. Great. Uh, so the first one is I'm just going to start with the names of them and then try to explain them. Because sometimes what I do when I'm coming up with, you know, I'm being creative is I come up with the name first and then kind of backfill what the heck they are. So maybe you can help me with this once you hear it's good the good design. Names. Figure out right. where you want to go and then figure out how to get there. Right. Right. So uh, the first one is Peppy Pen. So the idea is a play on EpiPen, obviously. Uh, you have the EpiPen out there. What happens when you need a shot in the arm? You need a little bit of energy. You know, there's coffee, but as we right. learned earlier from talking to you about coffee, you could drink coffee and then fall asleep. Right. So that's not great. I've had two cups now. I'm sleepy. Yeah. No, well, I mean, that's probably just from talking to me, but yeah. <laughs> uh, better than the little drinks, better than just a little caffeine or whatever people drink now, vitamin B. You literally just shoot yourself in the arm with a Peppy Pen. And you'd have X number of hours of energy to get your stuff done. It's great. You always have them on hand. It's at like work. Ritalin. It is basically Ritalin in just faster. Yeah. Because why wait for the Ritalin to kick in when you can have it right away? Right. Sure. So who would this appeal most to, in your opinion? Teachers. Teachers. <laughs> um, yeah, I would think um, kids. Okay. I think we'd have a problem. I think people would be trying to get peppy all the time. Oh, oh. So this wouldn't be a controlled issue like where, you know, I want to divvy it out based on who's not performing well, maybe at work. Oh, that would be good. So I see somebody is, is kind of, uh, they look a little down. They look a little underproductive. Maybe they didn't sleep well last night or they have some. So the boss controls it. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's like a tranquilizer <laughs> turret. That's up in the ceiling, right next to the Wi-Fi uh, thing that goes up in the ceiling now that I think is giving me all sorts of uh, Wait, are we talking messages. dystopian lit again? Yeah, we might be. Okay, yeah. so Peppy okay. Pen, if you want to start writing your own dystopian literature mm -hmm. and you need some ideas, come to me and Mary Beth. Right, right. Because I think we could really help. It's a capsule under the skin and the boss just presses a button, kind of like the Perfect. morphine buttons in yeah. the hospital. So you can't overdo it. it. Right. Perfect. Well, your boss can. Your, uh, your boss could accidentally kill you if you're not being productive <laughs> enough. Right. <laughs> I just can't get this guy to work harder. Uh, Jim's dead. Okay. <laughs> All right. Next up, what the cheese. This is a consulting firm. This is the first thing that I thought of when I thought of this. I like this one. Uh, consulting firm to find the correct cheese pairing for you in life or just in certain situations. So let's say that, you know, you think you only like provolone. You might like another one a lot better. That's what, what the cheese would help you with. And even if you're lactose intolerant, we can go with lactose-free. We can go with, you know, all sorts of allergens. And if you have Crohn's disease, we can figure all that out. That's what, what the cheese would do. I'm not sure I get this one. No? No. It's like the deli guy at Publix who tries to get me to try different cheeses. That's yeah. kind of, but but he doesn't know me, so he doesn't know which cheese would be right. fitting. So the deli guy is obviously not the person. You would come in and we would test you on different things, uh, assess you assess on me. different things. So not only taste, though, 
But like, how pretentious do you want to be in life? Oh, like, right. Mary Beth, you're not very pretentious. No. I'm just going to put that out there. So Thanks. you're probably just going to go with a cheddar or an American or something like that. Obviously, myself, relatively pretentious. <laughs> so I'm going to go with something that is, you know, has a longer name. Maybe not many people have heard of it. I'm going to talk about the, you know, the aromas and the flavors and the unctuousness and the mouthfeel of it, because that's the kind of guy I am. There's a restaurant in Winter Park that has a wall of cheeses. And maybe really? I should or shouldn't say the name of the place because I always forget what it's called. Toasted? Yes. Yep. And um, so the wall, it's like a, a, I don't know, the periodic table yeah, of cheeses. Of cheese. And so you could have different kinds of um, elements numbers that go with it sure. that are about pretentiousness, right? Yeah. That'd be Ooh, great. a pretentiousness scale of That's cheeses. Right. I love that idea. We're like going to do that. Okay. okay. So, uh, okay, so we got what the cheese. Shotgun bedding. <laughs> what? Listen, shotgun bedding. You need a mattress and you need it fast. <laughs> That's what we do. So maybe not even like delivery but we actually come in. Have you ever seen the the fiberglass or the insulation guns where they shoot the the sure. fiberglass or the insulation into something? Okay, so we do that with something that's slightly softer and less stabby. Right, that would be good. So that you need a bed, you have somebody coming over, you weren't expecting them, you don't have a fold-out couch, uh, you don't have an extra room. We're just going to shoot bedding in this corner and they can sleep there. Yeah, that works. Okay, so shotgun bedding, you're four. How do you get it out, though? Oh, I don't know. We're not going to oh. look. We're only shotgun bedding. We're not shotgun bedding removal. <laughs> okay. Shotgun bedding <laughs> sounds like something else, but okay. Well, yeah, that's the, right. again, these are all terrible, so terrible. Shotgun wedding. Yeah, right. it's good. What, did you get what the cheese? Yes. Okay. And yeah, so let's go on to, this one's a little bit of a stretch. The other ones have been totally realistic. Oh. Mm. This one is a stretch. Kombucha puncture. <laughs> it sounds like something that people would buy just because it would be trendy. Right. So what I like to do typically with bad business ideas is mash two things together. So I went to, mm -hmm. you know, Eastern sort of philosophy and Eastern sort of cure-alls and snake oils and things like that. Sure. Not that either of these things are those, uh, but kombucha and acupuncture. Can right. we combine them? Can we do like a food truck where you just get on, you get in, you either drink the kombucha or somehow the kombucha is delivered through the needles right, I like of that. the acupuncture? I think it's more efficient. Right. I'll just be like the EpiPen, the right. Pepi Pen. Yeah. Right. Of course, this, in theory, I don't know would do anything, but <laughs> it'd be much more of a placebo. Uh, but yeah. taking it's like Botox too. Taking, oh, <laughs> gross. <laughs> And yeah, well, it is fermented, so maybe it is Botox after a while. Uh, would it bubble under the skin? It could. It would be bubble. It would have uh, effervescence. Right. So it would make you more effervescent. I love this. <laughs> I love because it's literally making you more effervescent. So I love everything about that one. I don't know about the food truck situation. I don't know where that came from. I just like to put things, you know, now I'm adding a third thing to it. It's delivery. Ugh. Okay, last but not least, talking on eggshells. Now, I have several ideas here of what that could be. Because, let's face it, we've walked on eggshells. Sure. But have we talked on eggshells? All the time. Yeah. So, what I like about this is that it, um, obviously, I have the tendency 
on occasion, on rare occasion, <laughs> to say the wrong things. So what I would like is some sort of, one of two things is what I thought of. One is a tracker to tell me or to let me know or remind me when I'm interacting with somebody who I may have insulted or hurt their feelings at some point in the past. Just as a quick reminder, like, oh, hey, I'm inter- Mary Beth just texted me. Don't forget you made fun of her hair <laughs> last year. <laughs> And uh, she was really upset by that. So try to be nice. Right? So Just a little reminder. So how would you get that information? So, so it would be on your phone. It would be obviously some sort of app that uh, overlays on all of your different communication vehicles and channels. Right. So that when you are interacting with somebody, or maybe I'm going to uh, post something on your face, you'd post something and I'm going to say something smarmy about something you posted, a little reminder will come up going... Don't forget, uh, she just unfriended you last week or something like that. <laughs> or you said something really negative to her eight times this year. Right. Do you think nine times is a good idea? Right, exactly, right. exactly. Like, uh, it's a Jiminy Cricket type of thing. Because so, obviously, I don't have the little angel on my shoulder. <laughs> no. So this is the little angel. Talking on eggshells would be the little angel on your shoulder. So can you set the sensitivity of it? Oh, sure. So, like, you have a network of friends, and for me, because you know that I'm pretty sensitive, you would set the rating higher or something so that maybe for me it's four times that you've been mean to me or said something negative. Right. And, but somebody else, they're a lot, lot less sensitive. Right. Okay, that works. Okay. Um, the other option is just go completely artificial intelligence <laughs> and be a little more predictive about something that you might say. Right. Like go through all of Mary Beth's accounts, <laughs> see what's going on with her. Maybe she just had uh, uh, something going on in her family. So you start typing something to her like maybe you don't know about this and you're just, hey, I just saw a dumb movie. Do you want to go for drinks? And it warns you and it says, hey, you may want to not say that right now. You know, it's sort of that predictive analytics based on the well, Facebook's doing that already. Right. Is it? I don't know. That would be super cool. I mean, that is that part of their new algorithm? Maybe. All right. I'm just making uh, it up. Mark Zuckerberg, if you're listening, and I know Zuckerberg's he a big, listens. Right. big listener, big listener, because, I mean, where else is he getting all his ideas than well, here? Well, I think it might be iPhone, too, with the predictive stuff, right? If you just start typing a word, it gives you a word, and you could just send it that way. Well, I'm thinking, yeah, so instead of, what up, jerk? Like you start typing that in and it changes it to my condolences. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> All right. I like that. So that's talking on eggshells. Out of those, is there any that really jumps out at you as your next business venture? Because as a as a small businesswoman, being successful with our school, you're probably already looking to your next investment um, and what you want to do, not only with your time, but with, uh, with your... Uh, uh, with your savings. List them all to me again. Okay, so there's Peppy, Peppy Pen, Pen. Right. What the Cheese. Right. Shotgun Bedding. Kombucha Puncture. Uh-huh. And Talking on Eggshells. Um, I think I'd have to go with Peppy Pen or Talking on Eggshells. Right. And there might be a way to combine those things. Oh, so when you do, I, you know what I like the idea of is the under the skin thing. Right. Some endorphins when you're doing something right on Facebook. That's right. And they, so they're training you. It's like yeah. Pavlov, right? They're yeah. training you to continue doing that activity. Right. So, or at work. Right. <laughs> right. 
hey, you just closed this deal. Boosh, here's your endorphins. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That works. Okay. Again, I think what I'm really getting from this is <laughs> uh, any young adult authors that are out there that want to write even remotely something dystopian, we will come up with all sorts of concepts around that for That's your right. dystopian future. On Mars. On Mars. Oh, yeah. Did right. we not mention that? It's only on Mars. Right, right, right. We own Mars when it comes to dystopian futures. <laughs> because let's face it, dystopian Earth futures, so passe, so done. Let's go to Mars. Sure. Anything else? Any other points you want to make on that? No, I was just thinking about Planet of the Apes and how it really was Earth, but you didn't know it was Earth until the end. Wait, spoiler alert. Right? I, I didn't see that. Okay, it's been around since what? I know, the, the 60s. Si yeah. yeah. So anyway, so yeah, different <laughs> different locations, different places. Yeah, yeah. We could do that. They don't know they're on Mars the entire time. That's it. Oh, we just kind of gave it away, though. <sighs> okay, don't listen Man. to that. Yeah. Wait, I can't really tell them to do that. All right, you're <laughs> listening to A Certain Degree on WPRK Winter Park, Florida. We'll be back with uh, Mary Beth Hebner of our school. Thank you for that, Mary Beth, and dealing with my various uh, bad business ideas. And we're going to hear from Joey D. Francesco, Francesco, maybe, with Jimmy Smith. I've got my mojo working <laughs> on WPRK Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to a certain degree. Joey D. Francesco and Jimmy Smith on WPRK Winter Park, Florida. I've got my mojo working, and uh, I think that's true of me every day. Always, always have my mojo working. My name is Nick. You're listening to A Certain Degree. I'm here with a very special guest, Mary Beth Hebner. Good morning, Mary Beth. Good morning, Nick. And so, Mary Beth, let me ask you something. You're here from our school, founding director of our school. And I do a radio show, so when I'm explaining to people what I do, I say it's an interview show, I'm on the radio, it's fairly easy to understand when you're trying to explain our school to people, is it easier now than it has been in the past because homeschooling is a little more uh, common? It's a little more uh, out there in terms of what uh, people have done and what you know people know about it. Is it still a little bit difficult to explain it? How do you usually tell people about our school? What would you say if you were talking to somebody who didn't know anything about it? I think it's um, it's a little bit difficult if people have never thought about doing something different with their kids. I mean, imagine their kids are doing just fine. They pass every test. They enjoy school okay. They like getting those check boxes saying they pass those standards. Um, they have no idea that it doesn't actually work that way for every kid. So when I'm talking to people who are struggling, it's like I'm speaking to their soul. They immediately get it. They understand that, um, that what we're doing by um, uh, being flexible and adapting and developmentally appropriate is the term that we use a good bit. Um, they get it. The ones who don't get it, it's a lot more complicated. So we do a lot of talking about, um, you know, it's flexible. And what we mean by that is that you can come part-time, you can come full-time. And the question we maybe get the most is, well, how do they get all of their academics in if they're only coming three days a week? Um, I don't know how many of you have been inside of a school before and seen how much actually learning time is taking place. Um, but you can get a lot done in just uh, a few hours a week versus being there full time. So what was your question? 
So, well, <laughs> and going to that too, the the full time versus part time mm-hmm. is there's some component of it that you would be homeschooling them, right? A lot of kids are, right? So some of our families are full-time and some of our families are part-time. So um, the idea behind that, well, it started actually as a way to make it um, more accessible to people who couldn't afford Mm full-time. So still trying to reach that that price point that makes it um, accessible for people who are normal, everyday people. Um, So can I get my academics in three days? Well, sure, right? Um, My mother was telling a story recently uh, of me when I was in high school. I had mono and I was out of school for I don't know eight weeks or something crazy like that and the tutor came twice a week and my mother was worried that I wasn't getting all the academics I needed but in the twice a week two hours so four hours a week I was able to get probably more academics than the kids were getting in public school Um, not that there's anything wrong with public school but when you're one-on-one or smaller class sizes you can get a lot more done so we have families that they're very comfortable with doing academics on their own. Maybe mom or dad is a teacher um, or has multiple degrees. And so they're able to actually handle, especially the earlier years, um, the academics. Um, other families, they're not comfortable with academics and they'll send the kids to us for academics a few days a week. Um, sometimes just math. Right? Maybe they're not comfortable with math or they don't want to teach their children reading because they don't understand the process behind that. Um, and they'll teach, they'll send their kids to us for academics, and then they'll spend their off days, you know, doing field trips, going to forts, um, playing in the woods, cooking, you know, things like that that they can do on their own that they are comfortable with. And so, learning something, too, out of that. Yeah, every, everything is learning, right? Right. You know, they go riding on you know, bike riding, and they can talk about what's outside, what they see. Even the idea of bike riding in general um, is a learning opportunity. What about the resources that are out there? So one of the things that was very intimidating to me uh, when we were looking for the kids for an opportunity to do something like that was the idea of, okay, how do I know if what I'm teaching them is correct in a homeschooling type of situation? What kind of resources are available out there and how do you help in terms of working with a student and a family? So I think the most overwhelming part of that is how many resources there are and deciding what the right option is. And, you know, let's qualify right a little bit because right needs to be what's right for your child and for for the path that your child is on, um, not what is the answer to get them into a prestigious college and that way they get to grad school and then they can be rich and happy forever. Um, You know, because there is no right answer and that's why there's so many varieties out there of curriculum. Um, I'm seeing fewer and fewer options because once they all become aligned with Common Core or Florida standards, then they're all kind of the same. But, um, you know, there are packages out there, there are um, online resources, there are online courses, there are uh, Facebook groups, for example, that will help give advice. Um, You can take classes with Florida Virtual School. So even if you're homeschooled, you can still take classes as either a flex option So taking a couple of classes or you can be enrolled full time and then just supplementing on the side. But, um, you know, we also at our school, we have an umbrella option, which means that you may never attend classes with us at all. But maybe you can come to our resource library. Lakeland, we have a a large resource library and we have um, umbrella students is what we call them. And their parents can come and check things out from our library. They can consult with our teachers about what curriculum might work well. 
We can do portfolio assessments. So we're there to provide guidance as well. If you don't want to take classes, we provide the guidance for the curriculum. Is that something that you assess when you have a new student coming in and you start talking to the parents? Because I think one of the things would be, you know, all of this sounds great, but what I'm hearing and what you're saying may be two completely different things. So how do you assess and how do you deliver sort of a learning plan when it comes to the student? Um, yeah, it depends on the student. So when students come in, when their families come in, usually it's the the parents will come in without the child first. Um, you know, sometimes we start in the place of what curriculum do you use and my child's not on level or my child is ahead of level and how are you going to adapt to that or what should I do to adapt to that? Um, they want answers and, you know, people are looking for simple solutions and this is why education is so complicated um, is that there are no easy solutions, right? We have to get to know your child and maybe right now your child is ahead in reading and on level in math. And so there is no standard grade or format. And so we have to kind of adapt the curriculum to meet the needs of that child. Um, math is a good example of that. Um, we tend to rely on three different math curriculums. And it's it's one of my aha moments with parents to kind of see where the families themselves might fit. Um, because as I'm talking about it, if it doesn't speak to them, if they don't understand what I'm talking about um, and they don't get it, then they might not be the right kind of family for what we're trying to do. Um, but the reason is that we, the three different math curriculums we have speak to three different kinds of children. And of course there are more than that, but this is, um, these are three good examples. So one of them is the life of Fred. Um, I really like this. I wish I'd known about this when my kids were younger or when I was younger, even the life of Fred is reading based. So you get stories about this goofy kid named Fred and all the different things that he, um, goes through. And he's always running into math problems, right? So a little bit like, uh, here's a show. I did watch this show, a show called Numbers. Remember way back when? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Everything was a math problem, right? And and that guy was quirky, too, a little bit like Fred. But it's reading-based. So that for those kids who are very verbal and maybe um, don't get into math as well, you can read stories to them. Um, the other good idea with that one is that older kids who are maybe, maybe they have some holes, some gaps in their math, you can have them read to younger kids. Um, especially in a homeschool environment, we have multi-age happening at home as well. You can have older kids read the math stories to the younger kids, and then they're picking it up along the way. So very verbal kids, great one. Um, the second one is uh, Matthew C. So Matthew C. is almost like Legos. You have uh, hands-on uh, building blocks. You can see the math. You build with it. And so for kids who need to touch and feel very spatial-oriented kids, um, that's another good math program as well. And then the third one is Beast Academy. So um, kids who maybe have some uh, visual issues or dyslexia and dysgraphia tends to work with these kids as well. So it's comic books. Um, similar to Life of Fred, but rather than having a bunch of words, it has pictures to go along with it to help kids maybe who are struggling with reading but um, need the story or the images to go along with it. So three very different approaches to kids um, with different needs. And uh, so I usually talk to parents about that. And that same philosophy goes with almost all of our curriculum. That's pretty neat. So that would apply to, well, it's funny because math is probably one of the most challenging ones uh, to do with kids or with <laughs> older kids, especially. So having those options there. Right. And again, like you said, those are three options. There's many more. Right. That are out there, but finding the one that fits uh, the the person and the child 
Yeah, I think a lot of parents come to this thinking that there are curriculums that are better than others or, you know, this one worked for my kid. You know, Saxon math is another one that a lot of people talk about. Um, and it just depends. And they feel like failures as homeschool teachers if their child it doesn't do well with that particular curriculum. But sometimes it's just the learning needs of the child and not anything to do with how you're teaching or not teaching. It's the curriculum itself. Let me ask you about your your teaching style. So, uh, and, and specifically one thing about it, I, I think that one thing that gets overlooked when it comes to teachers is you're very creative, right? Like you have to be in order to be able to interact with all these different students, to come up with the lesson plans, mm -hmm. uh, to really take all that stuff away. How do you, what's your creative space like when you're going back and you're uh, thinking about lesson plans or you're working on a syllabus or something along those lines? What do you do? Do you listen to music? Are you, do you go out and read a bunch first and then start working on that stuff? Like, how do you interact with, uh, with music maybe, or with podcasts? Um, I don't listen to music too much because then I get too drawn in to music that it's, it's uh, pulling me away from what I'm thinking about. Quiet space, um, maybe some classical stuff with no words would be useful if I'm trying to block out sound in the background. Um, you know, I need quiet. I need to be able to brainstorm. I have whiteboards everywhere. I use a lot of whiteboards, the whiteboarding tool on my iPad, um, because I'm constantly thinking about, um, in fact, we were just talking about this on the way over to the radio station this morning. It's like, how do I design a course that needs to meet the needs of a variety of people when they're all there for different reasons and have different backgrounds and different skill sets? Um, so, yeah, whiteboards work really well because, you know, I might have three students who need, you know, certain skills and other students who need different skills because they're way advanced. Maybe they're all 12, but they're working at the 12th grade level or the third grade level or they're right on level or they're very, very verbal and not good in math or they're very, very math oriented and not good um, with language. So, um, yeah, I've got to be able to think about all of those things um, in a quiet space. I'm an introvert. Okay. What about, um, so what would you say the, the level of creativity that you need to bring to the table as a teacher <laughs> is? Um, it's huge. I never really thought of myself as a creative person growing up because I didn't draw. You know, mm -hmm. I know how to draw a horse and that's about it. I got pretty good at drawing horses, but that's about it. Um, You're very focused on just the horse. Just the horse. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it is it is creativity because, you know, what do you do when you have, 12 kids and they all have different needs and it's not very creative to take a set curriculum and impose it on the kids and say, this is the way that works. You have 12 different kids with 12 different sets of needs and being able to adapt and, you know, you're planning. Sure. That's creative. But a lot of the creativity comes into what do I do in the moment when it's not working and the what ifs, um, the, the yes. And uh, it's, it's trying to figure out what you might try, just like the teacher did with my son she tried a variety of curriculums with him until she found what worked. And then she played on that. She kept going with that. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, teachers have to be creative. And that's one of the things that I think is making our school unique is that the, the teachers have the autonomy to be creative in their classrooms. And we guide, we provide, you know, um, so a certain foundation for what we expect with our school. But the teacher's creativity is what is going to help get the children where they need to be based on their own skill levels, um, not where somebody else has said they need to be. All right. Very good. Well, let's go ahead and assess you. Okay. 
with a pop quiz because we're almost at the uh, I was end good at of tests. the hour. Okay, good. Good. And then what we're going to do is uh, play a song and we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more about our school and where people might go for information about it. But the main... Are you assessing me on celebrities? Uh, absolutely. Ugh. This is going to be all celebrities all the time. Uh, this is a big anniversary. Today's a big anniversary for a big, literally big website. Wikipedia turned 17 today. It was okay. launched 17 years ago today. Wow. Which do you like better? I was working on taglines for it. Which do you like better as a tagline for the reference site? Wikipedia, take everything in here with a grain of salt. Or Wikipedia, just try citing us in your academic paper. We dare you. Yeah, I like that one. That one? Yes. Okay, good. When you come across something like that, when somebody's quoting uh, Wikipedia, either at the K through 12 or at the mm -hmm. college level, does that just drive you insane? Or how do you, how do you correct no. somebody when they're doing something like that? No, do you I, I don't them? correct them. Um, we talk about it. It's a teachable moment, right? So um, I admit I go to Wikipedia a good bit. Um, it's a good starting place. And I do take it with a grain of salt. There's a lot of information out there, but that's true of a lot of sorts, sources out there on the Internet these days. So I make it a teachable moment. I tell my students, sure, go to Wikipedia. The best thing about Wikipedia is the references at the bottom of the page. That might give you an actual source that is legitimate, and then that gives me the opportunity to talk about peer-reviewed versus not peer-reviewed. Um, the credibility of the site, we talk about um, you know, the credibility of their sources. Um, so no, it's a teachable moment for me. I actually like it when they do that because then it gives me an opportunity. All right. Uh, today's another anniversary. 99 years ago today, Boston was the site of a surprisingly fast-moving disaster. What was it called? A, the Great Molasses Flood, B, Turtle Rain, or C, Erosion Explosion? Turtle Rain. That would be fun, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, but it was actually the Great Molasses Flood. Wow. So uh, this is what they think happened. So uh, molasses was being fermented and can be used for uh, the production of rum and ethanol, which can be explosive. So a vat that was big enough to hold around 2.3 million gallons collapsed. Wow. And so the ensuing wave of molasses, the Great Molasses Flood, was as high as 25 feet. And here was the thing, moving 35 miles an hour. Wow. So, it so was, when you say slow as molasses? Yeah, it depends on how much molasses you're talking about. Okay. So if you have 2.3 million gallons, it's fairly fast. Right. Faster yeah. than lava. Uh, yes. This is what I always say. <laughs> hey, that's faster than lava. Isn't that not a phrase no. that people use? No. Is, okay, so here's the test. Is that an idiom? Faster than lava? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. What is it? It's not true. Well, okay, but okay, what is slower, slower than, than molasses? molasses? Yeah, yeah, sure. Is that an idiom? Yes. Okay, there you go. <laughs> you you passed that one. Good. Uh, state Representative Bill Hager, uh, state Florida state. Uh, introduced a bill last week that proposes to move uh, Florida's capital. Why was it located in Tallahassee in 1824 in the first place? Was it A, land was cheap and located near the Georgia border in case politicians wanted to flee prosecution? It was midway point. It was the midway point for the two main cities at the time, St. Augustine and Pensacola. Or C, to confuse future school children who would have to memorize the 50 state capitals. <laughs> Well, as much as I'd like to say C, it was probably um, 
Well, I'm from Georgia. Were they fleeing Georgia to go to Florida or they talking were, about Florida uh, fleeing to Georgia? Florida fleeing to Georgia. Yeah, maybe. Um, but or no. it was the midway point. It might have been the, the midway two. point between that the two. Correct. That is correct. Yeah, so guess. that's according to the Florida Department of State. Uh, it, Representative Hager, his main point was that it would save on a uh, on transportation because he lives in Delray Beach. Oh, right. So he wants it somewhere more centrally located so that he can get there faster. That makes sense. And they've tried a couple of times. It's not going to happen, I don't think. Can we get new people in office if we move it? Uh, yes, that's the idea. Can we move it and not tell them we moved it? Right. Yeah, that, that, would, be, that would be really good. According to a new study from Baylor University, what helped a test group fall asleep an average of nine minutes faster at night? Was it A, writing your accomplishments from that day, B, writing your to-do list for the next day, or C, writing haikus about sleep? I would say as much as I like haikus, probably writing your accomplishments for the day. It was actually writing your to-do list for the next day. Really? So, yeah, they did a test group with uh, writing your accomplishments. I would never go then, to sleep. Right. That's what I thought. That's why I wanted to talk about it. I'm looking at this going, there is zero chance that would put me to sleep. I'm would, not sure I would finish my list, though. I wouldn't finish my list, and I would get so anxious about stuff, I'd probably get up and start working on it. I would get up and start working, working on, it. on it. Yeah. 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 So Baylor University. Yeah, I'm questioning baloney. that. Baloney. Is that Wikipedia? No, that was uh, uh, that was a site called realstuff.org. Uh, <laughs> we should check out that site. Teachable Nick. moment. Right. Uh, today at Kennedy Space Center, last question, SpaceX will be conducting an engine test for their new Falcon Heavy rocket. When it launches later this month, a test uh, launch, assuming it stays on schedule, of course, what will it have as a payload? Don't oh, I get I choices? Don't you, no, you don't get choices for this. What will it have? It's supposed to be heavy, heavy? Uh, it is. Uh, it's SpaceX, so it's owned by Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. So uh, maybe you didn't hear about this. Droids. Close. He's going to send up his uh, Tesla Roadster okay. on there as the <laughs> test uh, payload. And it's going to go into a big elliptical orbit and eventually get to Mars. Good. Yeah, Good. it'll be so there ready, waiting for us. Good. Waiting for you once you get there. Right. All right. Very Wait, good. Wait, I thought we were going. Oh, no, I'm not going uh. anywhere near Mars. I, I like people. Oh, that's true. <laughs> so let's play one more song and then we'll come back. And uh, we're about to turn it over to Best Hour and Smarketing News. And uh, this will be... Let's see. Oh, this will be Henry Binns, Sam Hardiker, and Zero Seven with Polaris on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. Zero Seven on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. That was Polaris. You're listening to A Certain Degree. My name is Nick, and we're out of time. I'm going to release Mary Beth Hebner back into the world. Mary Beth, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Nick. So rschool.us, uh, people can learn more about classes available, about locations. And when is the next time people will be able to enroll for classes, or can they still enroll for classes now? They can still enroll. We take uh, rolling admission, and they can come in just about any time. Okay. And the three locations, are you looking uh, maybe next year to expand a little bit, or what are you looking to do with our school in the future? Right now we have the three locations. I'm working on um, one other and then something else that's slightly different that I can't talk about yet. 
Okay, great. So, but we um, have Lakeland, Port Orange, and Orlando for now, and then something else that's coming um, next year. Perfect. And I know in Orlando, especially, you have some really good-looking uh, instructors and <laughs> teachers there. Right. Uh, so, coming up on the show, we've got Kaylee Friend will be here next week from Kill 'Em with Cuteness, uh, which is a great local manufacturer and artist of pins and other uh, accoutrements. So I'm going to sound really French there. I have no idea what that word means. And then Amber Weatherford will be on the show on the 29th from uh, Potheads by Amber. So you've been listening to a certain degree on WPRK. I'm going to turn it over to Bess Hour and uh, with some marketing news. And that's it. Mary Beth, thank you. Thanks, Nick. Okay. Goodbye. Bye. Wow, that was really sudden. Oh, the <laughs> mics are still on. And that's the show. Thanks for listening to A Certain Degree. To learn more about our school, visit ourschool.us. If you're interested in hiring Nick and Maribeth to come up with your young adult dystopian future premise, visit toacertaindegree.com. They'll create a backdrop for your own story that will be just outlandish and far-fetched enough to land you a movie deal. You can bet your zombie outbreak on it. Or, oh, I know, your war that leads to an unfair caste system. Or or maybe giant cockroaches that have giant cockroaches on them. And it's like, ah, ah. Okay, <clears throat> sorry, flashback. Damn, okay.